At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella on the Cure the World Messenger and inviting you for another epic show of the Legacy Leaders. Today, I have a special guest that is joining me and that I absolutely cannot wait for you to get to know and learn more that is joining me from Daytona Beach in Florida. His background is exceptional. He's retired lieutenant. He's been with US Army. He obviously retired, but has tremendous experience. And right now it's also very much so involved in an education. In addition, he is the author and very accomplished speaker. But interesting thing about this particular guest is he is also author of the book, Your Leadership Legacy. So without further ado, let's welcome Oakland McCall, who is joining us right now from beautiful Daytona Beach. How are you? I'm doing well, Isabella, and thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you, and I'm just super eager to see because we have a quite a bit of different paths, but actually our listeners might be surprised how much we have in common beside passion for legacy and specifically legacy leadership. So if you don't mind, could you just share, um, first of all, how did you get into a leadership and specifically focusing on legacy? Yeah, so what, people ask me a couple of questions. One, why did I, uh, how did the book come around? Why did I write the book? And I always tell people that, you know, my last duty assignment on active duty, I was the professor of military science of an Army ROTC program at the University of South Alabama in Mobile, Alabama. And I used to go around and talk to high school students and college students and, and some businesses and those things, but mainly high school and college students. And I would ask them what they want to be. And they'd all say, well, I want to lead things. I want to be a leader. And I say, okay, so what does that look like? What does that take? And I got that deer in the headlights look, you know, that they, they knew they wanted to be a leader, but they had no idea what it took to be a leader. And so I came up with a presentation that can be anywhere from about 45 minutes to a two hour presentation, depending on what somebody wants, but talking about how, what it takes to be a leader. And, and, um, and so that's how the book kind of came came along, uh, and then, and and I, because I want to get out and speak more because I yeah, I really am passionate about helping young men and women become the better the best leader they can be, and I I realized that if I want to reach more people, that I got to write a book so that more people can do it can see it, and then if they want I can come talk to them and do the speaking engagement and and help that way as well but certainly the book came about because I want to reach more people oh that is so beautiful and I'm sure with your history with your working um, professional history as well obviously uh, how you develop over the years on individual level um, a lot of things around the leadership got crystallized because not only you got a chance to practice but also to live through that so And how did you decide even to 
to start and get into military because that is um, also something um, that I'm sure many listeners and viewers will be interested in specifically as we're seeing how much that shapes the character and specifically on such a high ranking that you were able to accomplish yourself. Yeah, so I, I, uh, I was always a, a, the leader of something, you know, my sports teams, Boy Scouts, I was the president of student government, I was different things. So I, I was a leader a lot when I was a younger man, and, and, I, and I really enjoyed being the leader. And, and then I, I, I also played sports, played baseball, basketball, football in high school, and I, and I got uh, some offers to play baseball at college. So I knew I wanted to go to college. And I also, then I started looking at Army ROTC because I knew I wanted, I had an idea that I wanted to be an Army officer. Now, I didn't know I was going to make a career out of it. I didn't know I was going to do 23 years, but I knew I wanted to at least try it. And so I, I pursued the ROTC scholarship um, and, and won one and did Army ROTC in, in college and got my commission as an infantry officer in the United States Army, did my first five years in the infantry. Uh, and then I switched over to armored cavalry and I rode around on M1 tanks for the last 18 years in the army. That, inside of that as well, I did a lot of teaching and uh, positions like that as well uh, inside the army. But, but I, I always, you know, once I got in the army and I was an army officer, I knew that's what I was gonna do. I knew that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Wow, that is amazing because so many of us, even as a younger version of ourselves, we're not really clear who we want to be and what we wanted to do, right? And a lot of times we get influenced by society or by the trends. And as a result, we see so many people that pursue not only different careers, but also lifestyle and paths and their real life. As you know, it's like these things are not for me. And what do I do now when it's really maybe sometimes I would say late, but it's just uh, uh, when so many decisions are being already made and it's very difficult to follow through with all of them. Some army and everything you experience to uh, really hone your leadership skill set. And what would you recommend for our listeners and viewers, not necessarily just considering army or, or joining military in the United States uh, or any type of a form where programs uh, can work uh, on personal development as well as professional development. Right, so one of the things I always tell people is, you know, if you wanna get involved in, if you wanna be an officer in the army, but certainly we have leaders in the army that are not officers, NCOs, senior NCOs, I always tell people that uh, some of the best leaders I've ever worked with were some of the people who worked for me as an NCO. And, and in my book, I mentioned Master Sar retired Master Sergeant David Powell, who is probably one of the best leaders I think I've ever met in my life. Um, so there are plenty of paths to get into a leadership position if you want to do it in the military. But one of the things I try to emphasize to people is if you really want to be a leader, never, ever, ever turn down a chance to be the leader. I always hope great leaders want to lead all the time. I want to lead all the time. I want to be the leader all the time. Now, I know when I go home tonight and I walk in my door, I know I'm not the leader anymore. I've been married for 34 years for a reason. I know where I stand in my household. My wife is the leader. I got that. But when I walk out the next morning, I, I want to be the leader again. Because the only way you are going to get better at leading is to practice leading. And you, I, we can talk about leadership all we want, you and I, and talk about it in a classroom. And that's all great stuff and it needs to be talked about. 
But the only way you're going to get better at being a leader is to actually get out there and lead where you make mistakes, you, you do things that you figure out work for you that may not work for somebody else, but they work for you. So the only way to do that is to go out there and lead. The other piece of it that I always tell people is leadership is leadership. I don't care where you learned it. I don't care where you practiced it. If you are a leader, you can lead anything. And I'm a perfect example of that. I had most of my leadership experience within the army, but when I retired from the army, I, I was the associate director of a food bank for uh, almost two years where I ran the day-to-day -day operation of a food bank. I knew nothing about a food bank when I started that job, absolutely nothing. I was a combat arms officer. So, um, but in that 18 months, I knew how to lead so I could direct people that did, did know how to run the day-to-day -day operation, the things I needed done. And we increased the amount of food that we handed out from 1.8 million to 3.2 million pounds of food per year in the, in the 18 months that I was there. So you can, if you can lead, you can lead anything. I don't care what it is. That is amazing. And I loved that you reflect on that. And Auckland, I don't know um, if you've seen this as, as well, but we've seen often issue where people are mistaking by leaders, considering leaders just because somebody has the power and has a title and opportunity to make a big important choices decisions. And I feel like a lot of times people see that as a, as a leadership and they wanted to fall in them uh, based on their demonstrated behavior. But a lot of times people, not necessarily as you mentioned, that are having a title are the ones that we follow or they exude that leadership skill set. As you mentioned, you have someone who worked for you that was exceptional leader because uh, not because of title, obviously, but because of skill and desire to demonstrate that consistently. So do you mind sharing a little bit for everybody that is listening, your take on that? Uh, because uh, I feel like that creates a barrier, but also creates a misunderstanding what the leadership it's all about. And specifically the current times where we're seeing so much polarization and division and so many conflicts that comes in uh, because how we use these terminologies and how do we really actually use the power? Right. So, so one of the things, you know, as we commission young men and women into, into the army as a lieutenant, so they're an officer, they actually have the title and they're a leader, uh, or they should be. And one of the things I always tell them is the day they get commissioned, I say, look, enjoy today because the day is all about you. It's about you getting your commission. It's a great thing. But after today, when we pin those bars on your shoulder and you become an officer and you're now a leader in the United States Army, it will never be about you ever again. It's about your soldiers. It's about your mission. It's about yeah. the company. It's about the army. It's about the nation. And then if we got time, we might talk about you. We might. But, but you got to understand that leadership is about selfless service. It is not about you. It is not about you getting more privileges and living in a nicer house and making more money and driving a nicer car. That's not why we made you the leader. We made you a leader so that you could better serve those who work for you and those people that you work for. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, but that's really what leadership is about. And, yes. and, and we got to get to the point where people understand that. And I think the people that we talk about, that we're talking about that, that, um, that don't understand that, who just want the title, they never become really good leaders. And and you know, there's a, that, that phenomena out there that even if you have the title, that doesn't mean people are actually following you. 
they may be following somebody else who is actually the, the, the leader without the title. And that happens quite a bit, uh, as it should, because if somebody's not doing the job, then somebody's going to step up. That, that's, that's human nature. Somebody is going to step up and take charge if nobody else is. And that is an excellent distinction and point, and you're spot on. And as a result, we have a chance to raise the bar, but we also have a, a chance to raise our own performance. Obviously, because you have over 40 years of the experience, not only just in US Army, but also in civilian positions, and you continue to impact influence future generation of leaders, right? By through your recruitment efforts and through grooming and coaching and training people in that environment. What's really interesting is too is the shift that we're seeing on global scale and what type of leadership do we need? What types of traits people should be exuding and how do we can really fill the gap? Because right now uh, it's been proven over and over through analysis statistics and different publications from reputable organizations from Gallup to Harvard Business Review, you name it. Uh, around the deficit in leadership skill sets. So since leadership is so far up, um, such a big passion for both of us, uh, and I will share a little bit about the reason why for me, I really feel like it's also a great opportunity to truly um, pick and figure it out uh, where we're headed, what we're doing, and what the future is holding, right? Because we also right. need to project in the future what did we learn from the past, where we're right now, and where we're headed. And I think that is also one huge, huge this opportunity because share that vision and be able to be laser focused to really obtain that. So do you mind sharing a little bit about that experience and how you are navigating all these changes and advising others to do the same? Yeah, so one of the things that, that and, and master, master, uh, the master sergeant I talked about, Master Sergeant David Powell, he, he told me one time, he, you know, we were just talking. Uh, he, he worked for me when, uh, when I was the professor of military science, and we were talking about the importance of what we were doing, you know, creating the, the future generation of leaders for the United States Army, impacting the Army for the next 20, 25 years. And he said to me, uh, didn't, you know, just kind of off the cuff, he didn't even really, we, I don't think either one of us kind of at that point figured, figured out that I would use it in a book. Um, but it, it he said, great, gener great leadership handed down from generation to generation is what develops great nations. And I thought, you know, later on, I thought, wow, what a statement and how true. And, and, uh, and you, you know, you can take that nations and change that out into companies or businesses or hospitals or universities or whatever it is that you do. But great leadership is kind of the key. And one of the things that, that is so important as a leader is to have that vision of where you want to take that organization that you are now in charge of. And I always tell people, when you take over an organization, you ought to be able to, to after being there for a little while, figure out where you are as an organization. And then the, the whole, one of the whole reasons we made you the leader was to figure out where you want to take that organization a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, however far out you want to go. So where you want to take it and then to be able to communicate to the people who work for you in that organization, this is where we are, this is where we want to be, and here is the path we're going to use to get there. And it's so important to communicate that to the people who work for you because they're the ones who are going to get you there. If you think that as the leader, you're the one that's going to take you from where you are now to where you're going to want to go by yourself, you are sadly mistaken. 
the people who are going to do that for you are the people who work for you. So you got to be able to take that vision and communicate it to people. And if you can do that, then you then you got a shot as a leader. And and that communication piece is just so important. love it and one thing what i'm also learning and what i'm seeing from my driver's seat here how it's important also to let those individuals to shine and express themselves and lead because with everybody has a specific nature specific expertise right and when we are surrounded by such a powerful force and letting everybody to do their parts everybody wins and it's just a beauty because complementary skill sets, complementary focus, complementary desire, not only to show up in the best version uh, as an individual contributor, but also as a team. And then unity of that team is the one that wins championships, that wins those amazing long-term um, goals, because we're talking about uh, sometimes in many cases, eternity, meaning, you know, life career, life path that is never ending. And uh, that carries through. So do you mind just sharing what is your take? What the legacy leadership um, is to you and why it's so important uh, from your perspective? Because a lot of times I get asked that question and I would love to hear your perspective and how all this ties together. Yeah, so one of the things that I always say is that, you know, leaders produce leaders. Leaders don't produce followers. There's plenty of followers and they're always going to be there. But your job, one of your jobs as the leader is to create that next generation of leaders. That's, that's our responsibility as today's leaders to create the, the young men and women, the leaders of the next generation who are going to take our jobs, take our position. You know, someday old, old men like me are going to have to turn around and say, okay, young man, young lady, here is... Now it's your job, and hopefully I trained you well enough to be the next generation of leaders that you're going to do a better job than we did, because that's, that's the other piece of the leadership thing is that you always want to leave that organization better than what you got it. And I think that if you train the people, the next generation, if you make that your job as part of your legacy is to train the next generation of leaders better than you were trained, then we're going to be okay in this country. If, if we don't do that, then, then we're going down a road that I don't think any of us really want to go. Um, so part of that is, like you said, use everybody's expertise. If you think that for one minute that you've got all the knowledge and that you, you know, everything, you've got to make every decision based just on your knowledge and your ability, then then you're not doing that organization any 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 good service. You need to use the expertise of all the people there. And I always say, you know, when, when I had a job to do or a task, I would pull in all of my junior leaders and I'd say, okay, guys and gals, here's what we got to do. Give me some ideas of how you would do that. What, what, what's some ways that we can do? And, you know, I've listened to everybody. It doesn't mean you have to use everybody's uh, opinion or any of their ideas, but at least you listen to it. And generally what I figured out was that I take a little bit of this person's and a little bit of that person's and, and then take some of mine and I'd kind of put it all together. And then we'd use a little bit of expertise from everybody to make a good decision. And most of the time you have the time to be able to do that. There are times when you can, obviously, and you got to make a decision right away. But for the most part, you can do that. And, and if you do that, then that does two things. Number one, it builds the trust. People believe that you, you want to hear their opinion. And number two, when you do that, now it isn't your decision, it's our decision. 
And now people buy into that and they're willing to work a little bit harder because it's they've bought into the solution. It isn't just you telling people what to do. Because the other piece of that communication piece is if you think that communication is just a one-way communication where you're telling people all the time what to do and how to do it, and you're not listening to them, then you're not a leader, you're a dictator. That is such an important distinction, but is also a great way to leveraging other people's skills, but also, as you said, to have that shared vision and not dealing with the resistance and convincing and uh, being strict and rigid, which we know that people may initially listen, but deep down they dread it or, or, or just cannot wait to leave. And as a result, we're seeing more conflict and lack of cooperation versus contrary, more opportunities and great collaboration. So to me, I see it as a legacy as a top tier of all leadership, right? And I love that you also emphasize it and the value because that is something that I feel like we all should have a sense of urgency to know, A, individually, how we contribute, how we're showing up, and are we being creating something impactful and valuable, not only just for ourselves and immediate family members, but also for the humanity and larger picture in that. And then also, how is it possible to lead effectively without being that rigid, controlling, demanding, uh, totalitarian uh, types of leaders um, that that it's fear-based and because we're seeing, and it's a lot of perception, you know, it's like military, it's very challenging, difficult. Uh, and But in reality, it's not all about that fear-based or, or, or about that uh, rigid types of leadership. And I feel like, uh, we see this is the same thing in corporate. We see that in nonprofits in different sectors uh, where we have um, certain commonalities, yet on contrary, we're also seeing amazing similarities where, where things can shine and really show what's possible and then how we intersect so beautifully into that. Um, so with that in mind, I'm curious with everything you've been doing and you've accomplished so much, what do you feel like right now it's in the bucket list for you to do and bring to, to the light uh, with all this wisdom and such amazing knowledge? So, so really, for me, you know, again, I, I wrote the book and, and I think that, that uh, I've had people tell me and, and two things that they asked me. So who, who, who did you really write the book for? And I said, I really wrote it for two groups of people. I said, for the young men and women either in high school or college who were aspiring to be leaders or the junior leaders like my son, who's a junior leader in the company that he's in. Those people, because a lot of them don't understand what is required to be a leader. So I'm trying to tell them that not only is this what's required, but this is how you get there. But I also wrote it for old people like me who, you know, somebody like me who's been a leader for 20, 30, 40 years is probably not going to learn anything new from reading my book. But what it will do is it'll say, as you're reading it, you might say, yeah, you know, I used to do that really well, but I don't do that so well anymore. And maybe I need to put some more emphasis on that. So it's, it's kind of a refresher of, of what it is that, that we need to do to be a leader. And, and I think, you know, for me, what I really want to do, my passion is trying to get me out there so that I can go talk to young men and women. I'd love to do that at I, I tell people I never turned down a chance to talk to young men and women. I mean, that's to me, that's the goal. If, if you can make, if I go and I talk to a group of 20 or 30 people and I impact one person, that was worth my time. That is so beautiful and you spot on. Sometimes we don't know how far we reach and how 
far it's our impact right and emphasizing on that but even if it is just one person um, that gets chance to understand that and as a result makes better decision or feels supported even though it's virtually or however right uh it is it is the success and a lot of times those little lifts and bounds can truly accumulate to amazing rippling effects uh, and I love that you are focusing on future generations as well, reminder, because as adults, um, we are less daring to fail, right? Or try something new or to try to practice something we already know in the different ways because technology is changing everything, right? Our virtual conversation that we're having right now, it's allowing us to really uh, have a conversation around topics, but also to really uh, bring the information to the light in a different way and how we consume, how we um, connect, but also how we uh, uh, continuously uh, continue to make a difference and improve. So do you mind just sharing a little bit about how you're seeing where the future is headed with, in terms of leadership? What do you see that will be such a huge, tremendous opportunity uh, and, and then growth um, that you feel like it's absolutely necessary to address? Yeah, I, I think, again, leadership is leadership. And I, I, that doesn't mean that some parts of it don't change how we do things uh, over the over time, as as like you said, we get new technology. I mean, who who you know? When I was a brand new lieutenant, I would never have imagined that we would be sitting here talking, and I can see on the screen and we'd be talking and having an interview on on screen. I mean, that that technology wasn't even there. You know, I always say, you know, my when I was a lieutenant, when I went to the first Gulf War, my wife was seven months pregnant. I didn't see my daughter until she was five months old because we didn't have cell phones where I could see and talk and all those kinds of things. So uh, technology certainly does impact uh, our ability to lead, how we lead. I don't think it impacts much our leadership principles, the things that make us a good leader. Being able to communicate changes how we communicate maybe, but we still gotta be able to communicate well, how, how all those kinds of things that, that are important as a leader, selfless service, uh, being decisive, all those things. Technology certainly allows us to do it in a different way and sometimes in a better way, but those principles of leadership shouldn't change that much. But I think that the, the future of leadership, you know, I think we have to keep in mind that leadership is a personal, personal thing where we have to have a connection with people. If to me, the whole idea of leadership is personal uh, experience with other people. If you can't, develop those relationships, if they, you can't develop those trusts, those kinds of things, then, then I don't care what te technology you have, you're not going to be a good leader. And, and it kind of goes back to, you know, Vince Lombardi once said, you know, a team is not a group of people who play together. A team is a group of people who trust each other. And, and that really goes back to developing those those relationships with people. And if you can't develop relationships with people, then, then you're going to have a hard time being a good leader. That is so beautiful. And I'm glad you just uh, depicted a little bit because um, it's a choice, right? It's leadership. It's not for everyone. And, and then, as you said, plenty of people that's going to follow and then just follow the orders and do that way. But also, it is a tremendous opportunity more than ever for people that want to step up and actually take a lead and take initiative 
technology is helping us to disseminate amazing information and quality and have a further reach than ever before, right? Because of digitalization and eBooks and videos and all this great content. So the reach is now beyond the classroom, beyond the military, uh, like, like, for example, the division of the military, like US Army or whatnot. Right. But it's really something that, again, is applicable. So that allows everybody who does choose to become the leader they are meant to be. And, and I'm curious, uh, what is the path forward for becoming that leader that you're meant to be for audience that is watching and listening, that's eager to depict on your book, but also of your work? Uh, because ultimately, we don't see necessarily our strengths. We don't see how maybe amazing, brilliant, capable we are unless somebody truly generally take interest in us and is able to look at and see, first of all, where are we at to meet us, where we at, right? But also to really help us out to navigate because a lot of times, as you know, we hear more often criticism and things that are not right or not going well versus things that we are doing great and actually that we're really that are our strong suit so i feel like it's also a tremendous opportunity to to change that so i'm curious um how how do you navigate to help someone to be the leader they're meant to be or how did you do and apply that for yourself yeah so i i, I think that one of the most important things as a leader if you want to help develop the next generation of leaders is mentorship. And I've been lucky throughout my career. I've had some, some very, uh, very great leaders that, uh, that uh, took an interest in me, uh, people who retired a three and four star general in the army uh, that for whatever reason took an interest in me. And I could always call up and say, hey boss, what do you think of this? Um, and one of my things, I, I had a, I had a, a uh, a mentor who retired a four-star general and, and I could always call him and I, every, you know, every two years that you move in the army, they, they give you a new job and, and you move and, and my branch assignments officer would call up and say, Hey, Oak, this is what I got for you next. And I'd say, just hold on. And I'd pick up the phone and I'd call my mentor and I'd say, Hey boss, this is what they're talking about me doing next. And he'd always tell me one of two things. He'd either say, great job, Oak, take it. Or he'd say, run Oak, run very fast. You don't want that job. <laughs> and, and so it was always nice to be able to, to do that, to talk to this, this mentor who knew much more than I did. And it was always nice to take, get his advice. I didn't always take his advice, but I, it was always nice to get his advice. So I tell people, you must be a mentor. You, gotta pick, you can't mentor everybody. You don't have time. As a leader, you must pick those diamonds in the rough out there that you think are going to be the gem, the jewels of your organization five years, 10 years, 15 years from now and start developing them so that they're ready to take that leadership position. Small steps to begin with, you know, maybe, you know, but eventually those are the people who you're thinking are going to grow up to be the next generation of senior leaders like you are. And, and it, it really is your responsibility to do that. And like I said, I've, I've been pretty lucky throughout my life that I've had some pretty amazing leaders who have taken interest in me and helped me out throughout my time. That is brilliant. And I wish for everybody that's watching and listening to this to really start thinking through who are those people in their lives or they don't have many or any to really look at who could play, who they're looking up to, who is a great role model, and who should be worthwhile 
following and uh, connecting with and as a result engaging. And uh, do you mind sharing a little bit of that uh, mentorship criteria? Because um, I, again, uh, with hunger, with the, with the desire, with the passion, obviously to be the best you can be it's easy because you're already there you're already ready and you continue to hone your skill sets even 40 some years later right you don't stop you just keep going i'm curious um how do you see um great candidate in front of you because mentorship takes a lot of effort and not just from mentor but obviously a lot of work the mentee needs to do yeah i absolutely and you know and what you hit it right on the head you know even after 40 years you're still i'm still learning stuff and i'm still improving and anybody who it, leadership is not a destination it's a journey you know and, and you're not going to ever wake up one day and say okay i'm the best leader i'm ever going to be and i'm done well if you think that then you are done you're not the best leader you can be and you're not going to get any better at it it is a journey and every day Hopefully you're learning something else or every so often you'll learn something that's going to help you be even better. But I think that um, that part of that leadership, being a mentor to somebody, is giving them feedback, um, good and bad. I mean, they have to you, you have to be brutally honest with people and you got to say, OK, you aren't doing this well enough and keep but not just not just being honest in that you're not doing it well enough, but then you got to say, okay, here are the steps that you must take. These are the things you got to do to get better at that. And, and I think if you do that, if you're really honest with people and you're giving honest feedback, good and bad, both verbally and written, one of the things that I think the army has done very well throughout the years, and at least what I was, the army I grew up in and how, how uh, we did it was every quarter, your boss had to write in writing, tell you how you're doing. And so I always, even when I w took over at the food bank, I, I implemented that. And, you know, my son who now, who was in the army for a little while, but now is in a civilian, he's in a civilian job. He's implemented that in his company to, to do the in writing every quarter so that nobody is going to go the entire year and not know that they're not doing what you're be, being asked. And I always tell people that if you're the leader and somebody that's working for you is not giving you what you asked for or what you need, and you haven't told them that, that's your fault. That's not their fault. They may think they're giving you exactly yes. what you're asking for. They don't know. So you've got to be able to communicate both verbally and in my opinion, it's great to do it in writing. Um, what what is expected of them, how they're doing, and if they're not doing what's expected, how to get better at what they're doing. That is such a brilliant point because you spot on frequent conversations and giving concrete examples and concrete expectations. Clarity is so huge, right? Communications is essential, but also understanding where that person is coming from and, and where they want to go. Sometimes the, we would get surprised that people may be not necessarily even motivated, but they're maybe content and happy in a certain area. Um, do they have a potential? Absolutely. But they, do they want it to tap into that potential? They truly need to want it and desire it that we can't convince and chase someone. That's right. Um, and, and it took and, me a while. I remember some of my rookie mistakes because meeting people where they are, right? And then knowing what it's important to them, it's also essential too. But also having these hard conversations. That is to me, utmost uh, leadership 
um, command and understanding of honing those skill sets because it's easy when it's easy. That's when it's hard and challenging and yet you still have to show up. So do you mind sharing a little bit about navigation and addressing some of those challenges during those times? And uh, what would you recommend? Because we're seeing plethora of these issues right now, don't we? Yeah, so so I, I think, you know, you, you hit it right on the head again. You know, it's easy to talk to people when it's when things are all rosy and everybody's getting what they want. But but when things get tough, then it's sometimes it's hard to to be that honest person uh, and and tell them that you know things aren't doing going the way that we want it to go either either because of something you're doing or just because of the the environment COVID I mean how many how many people had to have that hard conversation because of uh, businesses and everything shutting down because of COVID and, and all that so I mean you just you really have to have that ability to still care for that person but tell them the yeah. truth and, and kind of guide them where we're going to go from here. If there, if it's, if, if you need to give them that advice. But I think that one of the things that we have to remember is that communication is so important. And, you know, you, you said somebody may not want to move forward. It doesn't mean they can't. And maybe at some point they will, but at some point, you know, we, we get fixated on this up or out, uh, mentality yes. and certainly in the military we're fixated on that either you're going to move up or we're going to get rid of you but but that doesn't that's not necessarily the right answer for every organization yeah it might be great to leave somebody in the position they're in if they love what they're doing they're doing a great job and that's what they want to do why do we have to force them to move up if they want to move up then it's our job and our responsibility as a leader to help them do that however they want but we should not force people to move up if that's not what they want to do. Yes, and then also seen as a punishment because also see people that are being in certain areas and expertise. So let's just use the example technology, for example, and they're phenomenal in, in that space. Uh, now they're adding more to their portfolio in terms of additional uh, artificial intelligence and everything else or different divisions of technology. But yet they're such a subject matter expert and they are so knowledgeable and they know things inside out. And, and they're just so completely content in that space. That doesn't mean they're not learning in that uh, niche that they're experts at more. And, but on the other hand, we're feeling like, you know, so like so much spread out and then so too many generalists. And then where is there are those subject matter experts, right? And to me, leadership is such a, um, requirement of subject, subject matter expertise because it's so complex and, means in different stages, not only who we are, but also where the business is at, where the rest of the world is at, what, who is ready for what type of leadership, right? And what type of demonstrated type of behavior, as well as specific skill sets. And we need to be able to depict that very well. So with yeah, well, that- one of, the thing, one of the things about that is, and it goes back to my point about some of the best leaders I've ever had were actually people who worked for me um, in that, that we, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. When I was a brand new second lieutenant, I, I took over a, a platoon of infantry guys. There were 32 guys. And, and I had a sergeant first class who was my platoon sergeant. So my second in command for the platoon. And when I took over the day I took over, they were already out at a range and my company commander, my boss took me out there and introduced me to my platoon sergeant. And he said, I'll never forget him, Sergeant First Class Penson. He was six foot six, um, big, 
giant man from from Mississippi. And he said, come on over here, Lieutenant, and let's go have lunch uh, underneath this tree. And we sat down and we had an MRE. We're eating our MRE there. And he said, sir, you're the boss. I will do, we will, this platoon will do whatever it is you want to do, however you want to do it. He said, but I've been in the army for 23 years. I was, I was only 24 years old. <laughs> he had been in the army for almost as long as I'd been alive. He said, I've been in the army for 23 years. And if you're messing up, I'm going to tell you. He said, if you still want to do it that way, we'll do it that way. You're the boss. But it's my responsibility to tell you when you're not doing something right, in my opinion. And then you make the decision. You're the guy in charge. You're the guy that has your name on the blame line. You decide what you want to do. And, you know, I, I give Sergeant Penson a lot of credit for, for helping to develop my leadership skills because I thought I was a pretty good leader and I had some good skills, but that doesn't mean you can't improve them. And he certainly did help me improve my skills um, and help make me the person I am and the leader I am. And he, he had no problems. I mean, there were times I made a decision, you know, he and I were talking, I said, I think this is what we're going to do, Sergeant Pinson. And he'd say, I don't think you want to do it that way. So, uh, and I, every time he said that, I stopped and listened to him because he had a lot of experience. There were a couple of times when I said, okay, Sergeant Pinson, I see what you're saying, but we're going to do it and we're going to do it this way. But for the most part, I always, always, if he questioned it, I always stopped and rethought what we were doing. And I think that's important that you learn those skill sets. You come with a certain skill set, but that doesn't mean you can't continue to build on them. And, and it, lots of times it's that expert who works below you who is going to get, help you develop those skill sets. And I always use this example. My father's best friend when I was growing up, he worked at Chrysler, the, the Chrysler plant that was near where we grew up. And for 39 years, this man was in charge of putting fenders on whatever vehicle was being made at that Chrysler plant. So if you were running that plant and you were having problems with fenders, who would you go talk to? I hope you would go talk to that man who's been doing it for 39 years, because I'm sure he knew that there were problems. He probably told somebody that there were problems. And that person said, I don't care, go do your job. You know, so we, we got to use everybody in the organization to improve our skill sets and use their expertise, because we don't all, we don't have all the expertise. I don't care how long you've been a leader. I don't care how long you've been in, in that organization. There's always somebody who knows something more about something else. That is so powerful and beautiful. Thank you for sharing those great stories, but also uh, drawing from that, that obviously helps you to be better decision makers. So really look at things in position from multiple different ways and really own that, right? And look at things from perspective that um, sometimes just the lack of experience or just simply because we were doing this way, we're not possibly considering looking things in a different way. It doesn't mean that is one right and the other is wrong, but it's just, as they say, so many different ways that we can make something happen. Question it is, is inclusive, is it collaborative? Is, is this uh, uh, holding the, everybody uh, accountable? Is on upholding high standards? Is it something that is going to have a positive impact versus, or just get done, but then have a very negative implications, right? And I'll 
love one thing you brought up uh, among many others of trust. I feel like a trust factor right now more than ever is fundamental. And uh, sometimes we speed up to slow down because we cannot just march because we are ready if rest of the team is not ready or people that we need to right. collaborate with uh, or, or arrive to same decision and to bring that uh, gap um, for us to march for a forward. So right now with everything that we shared in this episode and with your brilliant, again, a background and being um, retired Lieutenant from US Army with over 40 years, not only leading teams and being in different factions, but also in civilian world and educational space. And now obviously as a speaker and author, um, I'm curious, what would you like your legacy to be? What would you like to be remembered for? You already carved such amazing paths and you accomplished so much, but I'm sure there is a lot more that you wanted to make it happen. So, I, I, I mean, to, to me, at this point in my life, I, it really is my passion to help develop future generations of leaders. I would love to have my legacy be that I helped develop people who are going to be the future leaders of not only the army, and I'm doing that with helping to commission people, but but even beyond the army, that that you know the company, the people's companies, the the country. Um, because I, I always tell you know when I'm when I bring in a whole bunch of new freshmen, um, and I'm the first time I talk to them and they're all in the room together, I said, look, you have no idea what kind of talent is in this room right now. We could have somebody in here who's going to be the future. Chief of Staff of the Army, the you know the uh, General of the Army. We could have some people in here who are going to be senators or the President of the United States or CEOs of a of a Fortune 500 company. So that's the quality of people that that we need to work that we're working with, and we got to help develop the people so that they are developing into the best leaders that they can be, because that really is the that going back to that quote. Great generation handed, great leadership handed down from generation to generation is what develops great nation. I honestly believe that. And I think that as leaders, that is our job, our responsibility. And I hope it's my legacy that I did help develop the future generation that's going to eventually take over and do a better job of running this country than even we did. That is such a beautiful and such an amazing legacy to have. Obviously, you already shaped so much in that direction and accomplished so much. Uh, and I just want to go and kudo you and thank you for your service and everything you do. But now, with everything that is coming together, uh, I'm I just I'm super excited to see where things will take you and opportunities to further explore, collaborate, and make a not only impact in our nation here in the United States. States, but as a result, also lead with example to really show um, how much smart, intelligent, capable people we have, not only uh, on collective level, but also in right positions so that we can really show what's possible and continue to lead and be great example uh, across the world and impact right. the rest of the world, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I, I still, you know, I, I've been in 44 countries on five continents. I, Never would have been able to do that had been in the army, but I've seen a lot of the world. And you know, the old thing, you know, America really is that shining city on the hill, and we got to make sure that it stays that way. Um, 
you know, do we make mistakes? Absolutely, we do. Uh, but but I think that we are we need to be that example for for the rest of the world, and and we can be if we want to be. I love it because people is watching and, and it's interesting as being a European and growing up in Europe, how much is being replicated or duplicated of certain things uh, in Europe and different parts of the world as well. I, I actually travel very close to about the same amount of countries and uh, obviously 47 states, which I'm really uh, proud of it too, yeah. because it's not that I just explored the world, but I also explored this amazing nation and being here coming as a refugee and starting my life after horrible events and seeing and working in refugee camps with people that are being affected by the worst possible atrocities of humankind. Uh, that is the lens that I contrast and I'm sure for some of the bases you've been uh, and in parts of the world you've been not only for pleasure for it but also through the army involved in uh, seeing magnitude of immigrants and refugees and genocide, torture, war trauma, human traffic survivors. I just wanted to say I it's interesting when you see the other side of the coin when people will say peacekeepers came and they were really supportive or peacekeepers came and they're actually added more to the problem instead of right. solution or they were you know corrupted and they created all these other issues and it's so interesting to hear uh, from over 120 actually countries directly intimately their stories which is more than half of the world in modern time that is being tremendously affected. And now I feel like with this beautiful closing of this conversation, Auckland, I'm just so honored and to have the opportunity and privilege, not only to have this conversation, but really to create something magical that's gonna cover both sides of the same coin and create something that's gonna transform humanity that is desperately needing right now, which is demonstrated and support from through the lens of legacy and legacy leadership. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me on the show, Isabella. It was, it was great and, and love, I'm looking forward to working with you later on, follow on and continue to work with you because because I, I think you, you know, you're right. I mean, what we were talking about is so important and, and we both have that passion. So I think there are things that we can do. And I, again, I appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely. So thank you again, Oakland, for taking your time, uh, for stepping up and not only writing the book, sharing your passion, your legacy, um, your leadership legacy, becoming the leader you want to be. Please, everyone that is watching and listening, I will have that as an incumbent opportunity, not only to connect with the retired lieutenant, uh, but also to have a chance to pick his book, as well as opportunities uh, and things that he's doing at current time. And I look forward to sharing more and some amazing things that are going to come as a result of it so again thank you listeners and uh, everybody please make sure you share the podcast and the show you comment engage and ask questions and this is to be continued cheers thank you thank you for listening to legacy leader show if you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience then please leave us a positive rating in addition leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.